0: This is David Spence for EnergyTradeoffs.com and we are talking today uh, for a second time with Michael Wara. Michael is a senior research scholar at Stanford University's Woods Hole Institute where he is the director of the Climate and Energy Program and he's also a fellow at Stanford Law School. Michael, thanks for talking to us today.
1: Pleasure to do it again, David.
0: So what I want to talk about today uh, are the distributional conflicts that are arising out of this situation that Pacific Gas and Electric has found itself in uh, stemming from its liability for wildfires over the last couple of wildfire seasons. And I think most people listening to this conversation will understand the basic facts that will know that uh, PG&E has these enormous liabilities associated with the wildfires that were triggered by, in some way, shape, or form, PG&E equipment, either vegetation coming into contact with equipment or other uh, causes, uh, and that those liabilities earlier this year drove PG&E into bankruptcy. I think most people understand those basic facts. Um, They may also be aware of the fact that PG&E, as a result of this liability risk, has been turning off, power to certain transmission lines during periods when the risk of wildfire is very high, um, causing outages in those parts of the state. Um, Can you tell us a little, a little bit about, uh, so, so first of all, do I have the facts basically right so far?
1: Yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly right. We've had a a really difficult um, series of wildfire seasons so far. This year is better, but, we're only really getting to the most dangerous part of the season. It's kind of like the peak hurricane season, um, peak wildfire season. It starts in about two weeks and extends until it starts raining in a sustained way in California. And over the last two years, during that time period, from mid to late October to January, uh, pg and sparked wildfires that destroyed um, in excess of 20,000 structures uh, and generated you know, as best we can tell, uh, and this is this is settlement value, um, not you know the the total value, but you know something something like thirty billion dollars, uh, approaching thirty billion dollars of total liability. So it's um, it's a big problem for California.
0: And why is pg e in more trouble with this issue than say Southern California Edison?
1: Well, um, I think there are a couple of reasons. Uh, the first is that the fires that pg and equipment ignited burned with uh, much greater ferocity uh, into the populated areas. They were ignited in more heavily, more densely populated areas than the Southern California fires. You know, Malibu, especially the mountains where the Woolsey fire was most, um, you know, mostly located. That was a 2018 fire that Edison's equipment probably started. Um, you know is 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 pretty low density whereas the town of paradise where the campfire burned was an older community that was built at much higher densities um you know and so the destructiveness and the deadliness of the fires is increased by that the other factor that's important to consider is the the fuel conditions um you know the the Basically, the way firefighters think about the potential risks, um, you know, one of the factors that's really important is the amount of energy that can be released per acre when the acre burns. And because Northern California is much more heavily forested, there's much more water up in Northern California than there is in Southern California. The, and, and the fire frequency is much lower. So there's more time for fuel to accumulate over seasons of, of growth. Um, the ferocity of the Northern California fires was was probably greater than the Southern California fires. The, the last thing I would say is that Southern California has a culture and a tradition of living with fire. that's a little bit stronger than Northern California. And as a result, um, Southern California land use and especially kind of uh, fire code enforcement is stronger. And so it tends to, it's more likely that in Southern California, a firefighter is going to show up in front of your house in June. And if you don't have defensible space, it's going to force you to create it. That's an extremely unlikely scenario in Northern California because there isn't a kind of cultural fear of brush fire in the way that there is in Southern California because of decades of history.
0: So that gets enforced through sort of local norms and local firefighting practices.
1: That's right.
0: Some it's a CPUC rule about trimming trees.
1: That's right. It's it's norms. This this goes to kind of what happens after there is a utility ignition, right? So the, the fact that there are trees present makes it more challenging for PG&E because you know PG&E fires have mostly been ignited by branches that break off of trees that are outside the clearance zone and then blow into the wires. So so it's a challenging environment to run you know, on, you know, overhead, uninsulated wires through and um, the, but then there's a question about, so once you have an ignition, then what happens? Right. And, and in Southern California, there's more um, there's, there's better compliance with kind of accepted practice around defensible space. And there's kind of cultural norms there that make it more acceptable for the fire departments to enforce uh, requirements around those issues. In in Northern California, the firefighters are much more reluctant to kind of be a be a bad cop. They're much they're much more comfortable being a good cop, kind of being friendly, making suggestions, but not forcing bad actors to reduce fuel on their property. Okay. Um, and that that also that contributes. But but I think you know the it's, 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 the bottom line is there are multiple factors that make it harder uh, in Northern California to avoid conflagrations caused by the utilities the, the electricity system.
0: And I want that's fascinating. And I want to move on from it. But one last question about that: I've seen allegations leveled at PG&E that they fell down on the job either through the way they kept the right of ways clear or. Uh, Not putting aside enough monies to cover these liabilities. Do you give any credence to those allegations?
1: Well, PG&E definitely has had a safety culture problem over the last decade, and this, you know, this extends. Listeners may remember an accident that occurred in PG&E's gas transmission system, where a neighborhood in south, just south of San Francisco, by the airport, was basically blown up by a rupture in a gas transmission line that was not inspected. It turned out that PG&E was falsifying inspection records, and PG&E continues to have problems uh, with those kinds of, you know, basic kind of uh, operational and process controls um, around risk. So this is not a perfect actor by any stretch, and it may be a bad actor. The question I have, though, is how different are PG&E's practices from other utilities in California that operate in Northern California? There's a large number of municipal utilities that operate in Northern California and utilities, other utilities that are operating in the Intermountain West. And I think we really just it's, – it's very hard to know because, um, you know, vegetation management isn't something that um, commissions spend a lot of time or have the really ability to monitor very effectively there's a lot of effort going into this in california but there's not i think a comparable effort at least so far in other states you know the states with the most at risk probably are oregon, washington oregon and colorado in terms of real estate that's located in these high risk areas where we're going to have overhead lines um, the that that are, that are potentially impacted by trees during wind events um the but we just don't know and and one aspect of this you know that that strikes me as someone who who has thought a lot about the electricity system is is that many aspects of the power sector are are run to f- many many elements of the of power sector uh, equipment are run to failure Right. And and we tend to have a kind of run it till it breaks mentality that the one major exception to that is the nuclear side of the industry, which had to adopt a very different set of practices after three mile Island in order to avoid another accident. Mm -hmm. They've been, you know, basically successful in doing that. And and, and there's been a lot of benefits that flow from that. Um, But practices in the other parts of the industry, you know, May not – may still be in more of a kind of run it till it breaks culture. Um, It certainly seems to be the case that PG&E has a set of maintenance practices that are um, substandard given the risk. And I just – we just don't know whether other utilities are like that or not um, in terms of how they maintain a distribution system.
0: Really good question because to the extent that this problem is being exacerbated by climate change, you, you can imagine that PG&E is sort of a harbinger of things that come in other places, I would, I would think.
1: I think that's right, and I think many of the utilities in the West – I mean, I know this, actually – many of the utilities in the West are looking at PG&E's situation with a lot of trepidation, you know, even though – The legal liability regime is different in the other states in the West in the sense that there's a negligence rather than a strict liability um, standard of of proof. Um, the, the, The reality is that if and when another utility in the West outside of California causes a fire and burns down a significant number of homes as a result, I think they're likely to be held to, you know, they're, they're likely to be found negligent, particularly if they haven't taken steps similar to what the California utilities are are doing. Um, I, I, it's interesting in this context to note that um, Pacific Corps, which is a major, you know, multi-state utility in 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 the West, has had one of their subsidiaries in Nevada. Um, institute a power shutoff program. So they're turning off, they turned off the power in the, in the Tahoe, in the Nevada part of the Tahoe Basin this summer during a high wind event for fire safety purposes. And so, so it seems as if some of the practices are spreading, but I think there's, it's still not clear. And I know the Edison electric Institute is sponsoring a bunch of workshops to talk about this and talk about kind of how to, you know, what What lessons need to be learned by the entire Western utility sector from the experience of California.
0: Yeah, that experience will change the standard of care, right? The, what the That's right. The reason for utility must do.
1: I think, I think moving forward, and this is something I emphasize when there's discussion about inverse condemnation reform in California, moving forward, if the utility fails to shut off the power during a high wind event, that's negligence. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's just no, you could argue about it for the fires that occurred in 2017, right? The tubs, the Santa Rosa fire that burned down 5,000 homes. PG&E didn't turn off the power. Some of the plaintiff's attorneys have said they should have. I think there's a, there's, there's a harder case there, but today if a utility fails to turn off the power during a dangerous fire weather event and a fire results from utility equipment, I think, there's a, there's a pretty clear case to, uh, to uh, uh, failure to take, you know, reasonable care.
0: Yeah, and that, so that's, that brings me to the another question, and, and I, I really want to focus on the conversation about whose ox is being gored in all these sort of transitions. Yes. And obviously the, the people of paradise have already been big losers, and towns like that have already been big losers in this kind of situation, and then they're getting another hit through these shutoffs, or at least from the outside, it appears to be you know, quite a burden to have to bear to periodically have your power shut off with relatively short notice. Um, is that what, what remedies or, or solutions exist for people that are experiencing these outages?
1: Well, um, one rep, you know, the, the, there, there are sort of two self-help options, um, depending on income level and, uh, environmental preferences Um, one is to buy a diesel generator or a natural gas generator Um, the other is to install battery storage and or battery storage plus solar both have seen enormous growth in california in the high risk and moderate risk fire areas and we've seen a pivot in particular on the part of the major distributed energy providers you know big solar companies like sunrun to advertising that is very focused on fire risk and the ability to weather fire related blackouts. The other option, you know, the other thing that's happening for larger ins, uh, institutions uh, is a lot of work on microgrids. Um, I, I was recently contacted by a senior center, right. That's located in tier three wildfire area, which is high risk wildfire area in the wine country and, and, and they, they wanted to know, you know, they're thinking through how to manage these safety blackouts that are going to occur more and more frequently, and in particular, thinking about how to do that where they have many vulnerable customers. So far, you know, there's been the, the main outreach that the utilities are doing is uh, kind of communications. They aren't offering solutions. Uh, I think there's You know, good reason to think that the utility probably isn't the best provider of behind-the-meter backup solutions. Um, They they don't have a history of doing that well or cost-effectively in California, so much so that they even, you know, proactively withdrew from trying to provide those kinds of options to customers. So the other thing that's happened is that the CPUC has – dedicated a small fraction of its storage subsidy that it provides. You know, we have storage mandates in California, and there's a program to subsidize deployment of both in front of the meter and behind the meter storage. The PUC has dedicated a a slice of that to high fire risk storage installations. Um, it's worth noting there, there was a recent power off. So uh, let me, so that's, let me just stop and say, that's what's happening on the battery storage side on the generators on the generator side. My understanding is that generator sales are up six to 700% in California this year. Um, the problem with generators is that they can cause fires. And so we had a power shutoff event Uh, about two weeks ago in Northern California, where large parts of the the Western Sierra Nevada were shut off and by PG&E for fire safety reasons. And in Butte County alone, Butte County is the place where the campfire occurred. There were three generator fires. Hmm. And so that's the real concern. It's, It's a particular concern because when the power is shut off, cell phone networks don't work well, and so there are problems with even communicating the existence of fires that are set. You know, if, if, if someone is living, you know, without a hard, a landline connection, they may not be able to call 911 if their generator sets a fire. So we'll have to see how this whole process moves forward, but you know that's that's the solutions that we have at this point.
0: It doesn't sound like there's any kind of generalized movement either to have rate, other ratepayers or taxpayers fund some sort of solution for these parties. Are they sort of viewed like people who built in a floodplain?
1: No, I don't think they're viewed that way at all. Actually, yet um, the politics of the power shutoffs is is that uh, they're viewed as indication. Of a failure by PG&E to properly maintain its system, and there's a ton of criticism whenever these events occur. There's a lot of public outrage, and um, and, a, and a sense that things are really broken. Um, you know that in a in in one of the richest places on earth, the inability to maintain 24/7 reliable power in the face of you know modest weather events is viewed as um, totally unacceptable.